0: marketing can be an incredible force for good it can also be complicated and confusing i'm your host erica mills barnhart and my goal with this podcast is to bring clarity to the marketing chaos for you you'll learn inspiring yet practical ways to think about marketing differently so you can do marketing differently and get better results with less stress and more joy For you and your team. Motivation is for the mind and inspiration is for the heart. Marketing for Good takes both. Welcome to a whole new way of thinking and doing marketing. Welcome to Marketing for Good. I enjoy every single one of the interviews that I get to do on this podcast and the the conversations I get to have. I feel like they're all such a gift. And I learned something and I get to see the world differently. This particular conversation really gave me chills in, in a good way. And you'll hear why in the first couple of minutes when Scott Jackson, my guest CEO of Global Impact, talks about his childhood. And then he shares how that relates to the present day for him and really how he navigates the world. And I had the pleasure of working with Scott. And boy, he he walks the talk. I can tell you that. You know, he ends up talking, yes, about leadership, about faith, about acapella singing, <laughs> about meeting and working with Bono, which I do find kind of exciting. So he's just, he's such an interesting, wonderful human being. I'm so grateful that he was willing to come on the show and let us learn from him and hear from him. I'm pretty sure that your heart and your mind will be touched by this episode, and I would love to hear about that. So if you'd like to continue the conversation, as always, come on over to the Marketing for Good Facebook group, and we can continue it there. And with that, I'd like to introduce you to Scott Jackson. (music) Welcome to the Marketing for Good podcast. Today, we have Scott Jackson with us. Scott is president and CEO of Global Impact, a nonprofit that inspires charitable ventures around the world. Currently, Global Impact is supporting individual donors, donor collaboratives, nonprofits, and corporations with their COVID and non-COVID fundraising and marketing needs. Before Global Impact, Scott was founder and CEO of TradeEck. I don't know if I'm saying that right. correct me in a second, Scott, one of the first marketing and communications firms in North America to specialize in international trade promotion, technology transfer, and market access. TradeApp went on to join forces with global PR and communications firm APCO. Scott then went on to serve in leadership roles at both PATH and World Vision. And interestingly, I didn't know this, Scott, you were a founding member of the management committee of the One Campaign to Make Poverty History, so definitely going to talk about that. He is the author of the very beautiful book, Take Me With You, One Person's Journey to Find the Charity Within. I have had the great good fortune to work with Scott, and I can say he truly embodies the term servant leadership. So it was my, my pleasure, my distinct pleasure to welcome you to the podcast today, Scott.
1: Well, thank you, Erica. And thank you for hosting this podcast. I think it's such an important one to have during this time. And knowing that people are listening to Marketing for Good gives me great joy.
0: Oh, thank you.
1: Thank you. Me too.
0: So I will never, ever forget that moment a few years ago. I forget how many years ago it was now. And you were giving a talk, a keynote at the Global Washington Conference. And you were talking about your book and then you sang a cappella at the end. And I can't remember the song, but I totally remember the feeling in the room and everyone was just captivated. And do you remember which song it was?
1: Uh, yes. It's called I Wonder. And it's a, uh, a song that my stepfather, Black Baptist minister, used to sing a lot. I wonder, do you love the Lord as I do?
0: Mm. Mm. It, was, it was just amazing. I remember, like, I think my mouth was actually, like, open as I was – because who ends a keynote with an a cappella song? It was so beautiful. <laughs> I feel like so many are on a journey to find the charity within – in general, and that can be hard work. And especially now, people are really, you know, they're, they're reflecting
1: and trying to figure it out.
0: Will you share a bit about your journey?
1: Well, thank you, Erica. The book title, Take Me With You, comes from the fact that my mother uh, was an abused spouse. And every day when she t- would try to escape that situation, I would say, as a young child, Take Me With You. Hmm. And she finally did, and we escaped that situation, and then she married a Black Baptist minister in 1968, the same year that MLK Jr. was assassinated, and all heck broke loose, and we were losing a custody battle, and so we escaped to Vancouver, British Columbia, and made our way ultimately because we didn't have work permits down to Squim, Washington, so hence uh, how I grew up in the Pacific Northwest. And we then uh, were found through the school system. And my mother was held for kidnapping, contempt of court, and I was taken back by armed escort to Kansas, which is where we were from. And I escaped again with a Bible with phone numbers in it and a green knit hat with $20 bills sewn inside and made my way back across the country to the state of Washington, where my mom and Jefferson, my stepfather, had taken the case to the Supreme Court and had overturned it. But unless I was in that state, they wouldn't be able to have the appeals trial. So when I showed up in the state of Washington, we were able to have the trial, and I was able to live with my mom and Jefferson. We were too poor for him to adopt me formally, so Jefferson and I just went to the courthouse and changed my name for $25. But for me, that journey and the role that Jefferson and Sydney and the community of Squim played education, my teachers, college, all of that helped me understand, particularly later on in life, that there were kids all over the world like me that regardless of their circumstances were having to make a choice to be positive in the world or to deal with the anger uh, and the circumstances they were given. And so really the charity within is really about how do all of us take our story, whether it's a positive or a negative story. And how do we make sure that we choose the positive? And I think it's often the other people in our lives that help us make that choice. So it's about, you know, not only making the choice, but realizing that each of us are someone else's other and someone else's um, uh, chance to reach their potential.
0: Every time I hear your story, I, I get chills. Hmm. It's just, and, it, and you make so much sense. (laughs) And and your leadership style makes so much sense when you hear that story.
1: Well it's you know it's uh, so important, you know, to realize that often it's the little things, right? Whether you've raised your voice or you take out maybe the stress of something else and people don't even know, you know, what you're reacting to, especially during this time of a global pandemic, we all have a lot of extra stress on us. And I think that one thing we can all do is just be as kind as possible to, to everybody we meet and as understanding as we can be.
0: Yeah, kindness. I mean, it <laughs> I try to go back. I mean, I'm thinking right now actually, not of marketing so much, but of my kids and homeschooling and you know, just trying to trying to go back to it's kindness. Hard. It's hard, it's hard. I'm yeah. not always my best self. <laughs> but one of the great things about this is I think myself included, a lot of us have really established that being a I mean, deep respect for all the teachers out there. I was not, I was not called to teach middle school. I can tell you that for darn sure. One of my <laughs> My son is a middle schooler, so. Ah. And, and it, again, this isn't surprising given your story, but you are one of the most authentic people I know, and that comes through in your leadership style. Did that come naturally, or did you have to kind of find your way there?
1: Well, um, Jefferson was a great role model because no matter what people threw at him, any sort of prejudice or anything he had to deal with, he always he always came back and tried to deal with it positively. So he was a great role model, but it's been a learned thing for me. You know, early on in my career, I think I probably carried my feelings more on my shoulder. And even now, you know, if you're an intense person, you you can't always hide it. But I think that the notion that, you know, sometimes they say a whisper is a roar. And I think all of us, as we particularly look at marketing professionals and people in leadership, that we have to remember that our words are often amplified to the people that we're speaking them to. So it helps me try to remember to learn every day to be more uh, more measured and and thoughtful. But it's a learning, I think it's a learning process. I think you, every day you have to say, how do I make sure that I'm not a barrier to somebody else?
0: Do you have a specific practice for that?
1: You know, asking asking questions. So, you know, often, especially in kind of, I think, you know, urgent decision making and important marketing decisions that people make, is that we want to move forward it to action as quickly as possible. But I think instead of kind of saying, here's what needs to be done, if you can say, here's what I'm thinking, what do you think? You know, so the more you can ask questions, rather than just jump to the action or assume what what the answer is that helps me. But I also think it's just, you know, wanting to genuinely care for people. And I think, I think besides asking questions, the thing that really uh, helps me is that somewhere along the line and often the role that global impact plays that I play is a behind the scenes role. And somewhere along the line, I became so empowered by seeing other people succeed. So if that's kind of where you get your motivation then every day you want to try to make sure that you're you're helping the other people that are that are around you. That helps me. So it's not really very selfish at all. It's about okay, how do I really help this person because if I help them, I'm going to really I'm going to be empowered by that.
0: And that's true servant leadership.
1: Well, thank you.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So you have a Long, long history in marketing, both in-house with nonprofits, PATH, World Vision, and also you have agency experience, which is you know, gives you multiple perspectives. I'm curious if working on the agency side first sort of
1: influenced how you approach marketing and branding as a leader. Absolutely. I mean, I think, first of all, uh, getting a chance to work on the agency side Our small agency was focused on marketing in developing countries. And then as part of APCO, uh, certainly it was a worldwide agency approach. And APCO is known for their public affairs campaigns and marketing, you know, as opposed to always consumer marketing. But I think, I think what I learned in the agency world is the power of story and the power of sharing the narrative. So that bringing that to the nonprofit sector, and you're such a great professional at this about how you do that and the words that you choose, but I think the power of our stories and then using those stories for the change in the world, I first got glimpses of the power of the story in the agency world and seeing how that can be used for change in the world, I've been able to, to experience in the nonprofit sector.
0: Yeah, that makes um thank you for the kind words, by the way. And that makes that makes sense. I I'm always intrigued when, you know, somebody comes from agency or working on their their own and then comes into the the this different context. And the the power of narrative and the power of story feels even more important now than before. I I wanna actually go back just for a second to to the idea of authenticity. Because I feel like what I'm seeing, and I'm curious if you're seeing this, because you work with so many nonprofits, is these like dueling forces. Where I mean, nonprofits are really, really struggling, obviously under COVID, and so there's a part of them that is just scrambling to, you know, try to sort of stem the tide um, or the inevitables. It's it's this feeling, but also this this sense of and the ones that I think are, are are successful right now are just coming back to like, what is the essence of who we are? And how can we go back to the basics, go back to what is authentic to us as an organization and shine a bright light on that? Um, and I'm wondering if you're, if you're seeing the nonprofits that you work with and serve that Global Impact is also kind of struggling in this way.
1: Yeah, the, the notion of authenticity is a really uh, important one. And I haven't thought of it in those terms, but I think that the nonprofits I I see that are kind of making sense of this right now are taking a COVID lens, if you will. So they're not, they're not ignoring that we're in a global pandemic. Those that are ignoring, I think are going to have a really hard time, but those that are saying, how does this COVID crisis affect my organization and the COVID lens, I think, is the most successful is when they start authentically with their own staff and their own operations. How are they taking care of their own staff and families and doing their best with that, whether they're keeping them on staff or whether there's furloughs? You know, what is the role that they're playing with their own kind of immediate organizational family? And the second, then, element to that lens is kind of how does it affect their mission. Some are on the front lines, others are not. And how are they making sure that they're pivoting their programs to be relevant during this crisis? And then thirdly is how will it affect their long-term programs and missions? And I think that that nonprofits that take that kind of three-part lens are really authentic because they really are having to look at it first from their own personal lives to their organization and then to their mission.
0: I love that, that the COVID lens. <laughs> I get. I spend so much time referring to the COVID cloud uh, yeah. that I, I say, you know, I like think of it as a lens. who feels so much more positive. It's so very you, Scott. And one of the things we talk a lot about on this podcast is the idea that successful external engagement, which is where so often when we hear marketing, we think of all the external shininess, but that the success of that is really predicated on just solid internal alignment. And so how, I'm curious, how do you keep your team aligned?
1: We've really uh, gone to going deeper as a community in our communications. So it's interesting because I've learned more about our individual staff members in the last seven to eight weeks than probably I've learned in several years. So getting a chance to be on regular, you know, video conferencing calls, uh, being able to see each other, uh, actually having calls where there's no agenda, learning about people's families, meeting their children, um, you know sharing when they have uh, illness in the family. so I think I think one way is just to take advantage of what technology and marketing tools have brought us, which is really an opportunity to not only survive this crisis but to really forge community and forge, you know, relational opportunities. So I think that's been very powerful. That's probably been one of the the really positive things that have come out of this is no longer kind of a barrier to connecting with each other, that there's kind of no excuses really. Um, <laughs> and I think, I think that that helps to then align to the daily work that there's no question there's more pressure, I think, particularly in the nonprofit sector, on marketing and fundraising. So the work we're doing with our nonprofit partners and even our corporate partners, there's more and more pressure to you know, help us raise the funds, help us raise the visibility of what we're trying to do, whether it's on the front lines or otherwise. So I think community, encouraging people to not bear that pressure of their work all personally, and then just kind of taking it one day at a time.
0: I love that you referred to it as forging community. I, I think often, how, how should I say this? I think often we sort of take community for granted and then it will kind of form itself. And although sometimes that's extreme, you know, that happens, that's true. I, I just love this invitation to really be kind of fierce about it. I mean, forges is, is intentional. And the more we can intent, you know, use this opportunity to intentionally build community the better, both internally and then, you know, and then eventually externally. I think that's a really interesting way of thinking about it.
1: Yeah. And, you know, um, I think in any organization, you have people who are really good at that and others who are not. So it's been fun for me to kind of follow. We have some really good ambassadors at forging community and getting out there and making sure people are getting connected. So, you know, allowing myself to follow them and be part of it, has also been a good lesson.
0: Yeah. I mean, one of the things that has definitely come out of this is, I I don't know that we'll ever fully go back to, you know, you have your professional self and your professional life and your personal life and your personal self. You know, when you're doing all this from home, like inevitably, you're going to, you know, you're going to see the cat and the dog and the kids and the, you know, we're just like human. Yeah. And I feel like this is one of the biggest historical lessons we will have in we're just all human
1: absolutely. There's no separation. Uh, not really. And we will. Yeah, I think you're right. I think, I think it will break down those barriers.
0: Yeah. Um, you were involved with the one campaign to make poverty history. I don't know if all of the folks listening will be familiar with that. Will you, will you share a bit more about it? Because it it is sort of left an indelible mark in my mind, uh, as a shining example of marketing for good.
1: Yes. So, um, in early 2000, there, was, there were actually three campaigns. One was called Better Safer World, which was a collaborative marketing campaign to see if we could increase support by the American public for foreign affairs and for US Agency for International Development funding. And so a number of large NGOs were part of this, this effort, Save the Children, CARE, World Vision. And I served as on an executive committee, uh, a three person executive committee for that coalition. And then there was a data, which was essentially Bono's initiative against HIV AIDS in Africa. And then finally, there was an initiative called bread for the world to increase awareness of poverty alleviation uh, by, by bread for the world. And the three came together, with the Bill and the Gates Foundation to form the One Campaign, and we didn't uh, initially start with the word One, uh, but the song kind of led us there, and Bono led us there, and so we then announced uh, the campaign in front of the Liberty Bell, Philadelphia.
0: So, are you going to keep the two brands separate? Like, what's the what's the vision for that?
1: Yeah, I, th- I'm, I mean, I at this point in time, I think we'll keep the The name, will keep the for-profit corporate structure and the B Corp. We just Mm -hmm. uh, recertified. But really the way we talk about it is uh, it's a subsidiary. Geneva Global is a subsidiary of Global Impact. Mm -hmm. And it's uh, where we do a lot of our work with foundations and donor collaboratives. So what we're doing is actually taking the brochure that you helped us with, and we're going to expand it and probably just add one line of business. So incorporate everything we do at both groups into one, you know, one service offering. Um, and the Geneva global logo would be subsidiary, you know, to yeah. the global impact logo. So
0: it'll end up sort of being here to, to global impact.
1: I mean, yeah. just in terms almost of brand higher. Almost like brand. Like branding a product line kind of yeah, thing. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah,
1: that makes sense.
0: Yeah. Well, it's been a real smooth rollout by all accounts.
1: I'm glad to hear hear that. And internally it's been wonderful. The the, the staff have, have really worked well together. In fact, we're starting to do quite a quite a bit in the way of uh projects together, which is kind of fun.
0: That is that's definitely fun. Yeah. Um on donor collaboratives, will you talk a bit more about what you know what's going on in that space and i mean we we see things you know from the outside perspective about donor advised funds and sort of this movement to have folks uh, really liquidate i think right now the the drumbeat is around at least liquidating 50 percent of the funds but what are you seeing happening in that space
1: well um so donor advised funds are kind of their own phenomena yeah, so
0: those are two different spaces i, re- yeah, I realized i started with
1: it's an important one. And I, what I love about donor advice funds is that it puts the power of a foundation into an individual donor or donor family's hands. And um, certainly the model for large amounts of, of funds that, that many donor advice funds have is that the models uh, to support that fund is often based on the investments. So. Mm-hmm. There's not always the incentive to get it out right away. And so that, you know, people will continue to work through that. Right now, of course, if people gave half their donor advised fund out, they would probably lose, you know, 20 to 30% of the value of the fund. So it's not an easy decision right, to make, but uh, we manage a donor advised fund for everyday donors and they average about 75% annually of what they put into their it's called grow fund, grow fund accounts goes back out to charity. So at the lower levels, I think people can use donor advice funds probably, you know, with faster turnaround, but I do like the power of the foundation because it, it helps people think about their philanthropy more strategically, I think. Um, you know, so that, that's an inter- it's an interesting movement, the donor advice fund. It really is. is. Yeah.
0: And I hope that it will continue to be, to evolve over time to look a bit more like Grow fund and a bit less like some of the others, because, you know, uh, you exactly. know it's tricky. Yeah. It's just it's, it's tricky. And that's not to say anything negative uh, about folks who have massive donor advised funds, but they're, they're just the way they're currently structured. There does seem to be sort of perverse incentive to not have it go into the communities yet. You've already gotten the charitable tax deduction. So really it should be going into the communities. So I just think that'll be a really interesting and important space to to watch. Yeah. Yeah, And what about the donor collaboratives?
1: Well, and the two are related in the sense that you begin to see donors with donor advice funds and small foundations have more interest instead of just doing their own thing is working with others. And so that's where donor Mm -hmm. collaboratives come into play and I think you have kind of two kind of tight expressions of that. One is where donors simply join together like the giving pledge mm-hmm. to make a commitment to have an impact in their lifetime, but they're not necessarily doing that together. You know, they're, right, they're,
0: right. they're sort of committed to the same, same principles.
1: Yeah, and yeah. you see that uh, with COVID-19, you see a number of new donors or current donors who are, pivoting and making resources available and joining you know, other donors in their communities to be um, a part of that, of that response, if you will. But I think the, the other type of donor collaborative that we're seeing and we think that there's more room for is where the foundations, uh, individuals, sometimes even working with government, come together to co-create an initiative that may include established nonprofits, may include community-based organizations, but it's really around an issue.
0: Yeah. So yeah. whether
1: whether it's water, um, uh, World Vision has a wonderful donor collaborative on on water that they've developed. We support one right now called the Girls First Fund uh, with Geneva Global. So there's 13 foundations, Rockefeller, Ford, SIF, others who've come around the notion of reducing or eliminating child marriage with different models supporting community-based organizations. So I think it's that co-creation that I hope we'll, there'll be more of. Mm-hmm. And it kind of has to happen on the donor side, because if you ask, you know, eight NGOs to co-create together, the problem is if they don't have funding, right? right. Then they're all still competing with each other. But if donors come together and say on this issue, we really want to work together, there's an opportunity for really giving up the power to any one donor and hopefully empowering the issue and the impact that you can have.
0: Yeah. That's what I I was just where you just ended is I I was, Oh my gosh, maybe I'll get a sentence out here in a second. What it made me think of was (laughs) that in co-creation it might allow organizations both the the foundations and the nonprofits to kind of get out of the way of the cause. I feel like sometimes yeah. or in past iterations that's been a bit of an issue because we you know we tend to be tied to our container whatever the container is our organization. I think that'll be very interesting to watch to see if it doesn't allow for a different shape that does keep people more focused on the cause as opposed to the container.
1: Yeah and that and that really was an interesting dynamic in the one campaign.
0: Oh yeah.
1: Because you had these three different initiatives. They, they were all very different. They shared a common funder, which was the Gates Foundation. And so actually that shared common funder was one of the ways we were able to bring those three groups together.
0: Uh, yeah, I mean the Gates Foundation is such a good convener. I think it's one yep. of their superpowers. So you Absolutely. don't hear about it a lot,
1: right. but wow,
0: they are really conveners. Um, Absolutely. A lot of yep. power in that. Anything else that you would share with folks, things that you're thinking about from your very unique vantage point? I want to honor your time. And.
1: Well, I think I think the role of marketing and voice and storytelling is going to be even more important than ever before. And I think that all of us, We'll begin to think about what is our, not just our own personal story or our organizational story, but what is the story of our own social impact on the issues that we care about? And I think that as a result of COVID-19, that we'll, we'll all think about that just as important as we think about our professional career, as we think about our families, we'll think about our social impact and kind of the areas that we want to work in. So, you know, marketing for good, I think, is here to stay, and my hope is is that all of us can be a part of it.
0: We share that hope, Scott. We have shared hope. <laughs> Thank you for making time for this during the the COVID craziness. I really, really appreciate it. It's
1: wonderful to see you. Likewise, and thanks so much for including us. Really appreciate it, Eric. Oh
0: yeah, no. I mean, when I think marketing for good, I think Scott Jackson, I think Global Impact, and your whole team. Please say hello to the whole Global Impact team for me. I will. Thanks for listening to the Marketing for Good podcast. If you enjoyed the podcast, please rate, subscribe, review, and share on Apple, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like more information about Claxon University, how to make more impact in and for your organization, or hiring me to speak or coach, go to claxonmarketing.com or reach out at info at claxonmarketing.com. Again, thanks for listening and thanks for making our world a better place.